Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been in this, actually, the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew for quite some time. We kind of jump in and out, and so we're going to jump back into it. And as we do, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's a picture of what life should be like if we really believe the gospel. I mean, that's what Jesus is describing. If we really believe that God is who he says he is and he's done what he says he's done, this is what we're going to do. And Jesus gives us this teaching to challenge us to look at our life and say, you know, where am I when it comes to the things that Jesus addresses? And he goes deep. I don't know if you realize it. I mean, he talks about sex. He talks about power and influence. He talks about money, all the things that we kind of care about in life, Jesus addresses, and the question becomes, are we going to allow Jesus to address those areas in our life? Do we really believe the gospel? Do we really believe that God is who he says he is? And today we come to this passage in in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 19, where Jesus is addressing the power that money and wealth has over our life. And he says there's not really a comparison to anything else. That when it comes to the influence of money, the only other comparison he can bring up is God himself. He says, watch out. Now, he doesn't say in the Bible, watch out for sexual immorality, watch out for anger. No, but he says, watch out for greed. Because greed has a way of blinding us, of influencing us in a way that we don't think it's a problem. Many of us don't come and think, hey, greed's my issue. But Jesus says that's the nature of the problem. The nature of greed is we don't think we're greedy. The problem with money is we don't think it has us. And if we're not willing to say, God, I need you to search me, not for the benefit of giving to the church. This is not about that. This is the benefit of knowing God fully and loving him completely. And so as we jump into this in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at how money blinds us, how it controls us, and how we can switch our treasure from what we have to really who we are and what God says about us. So how does money blind us? How does it control us? And then how can we center our treasure not in what we have, but rather in who has us and what he says about us? You guys ready? I hope so. Let's go Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, then how great is the darkness? Because, see, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray. Father, as we set aside this time to gather, to be together, to sing, Holy Spirit, we need you to stir us. We need you to open our eyes to see, to set our eyes on the one who is 
the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is dwelling in us and loves us and has chosen us and has given us a new name. Father, would you, would you reveal your truth? And in this time, Father, enable us to discover what it really means to love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first, the first thing we're going to look at is that money, it blinds us. If you look at verses 22 and 23, basically this whole passage is a series of twos. It starts off with two treasures, then two sets of eyes, and then finally he says there's two masters. And in the middle, he uses this metaphor of an eye to describe the influence that money and wealth has on our life. And so he starts off and he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your body is full of darkness. Now, the idea that he's, cap- he's kind of capturing is what we set our eyes on, our heart is going to follow. So when you set something in front of you, it comes in. It penetrates. It influences you. What you watch, what you look at. The eye is the lamp of the body. And in fact, this is an old metaphor that's in throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, that when an eye is healthy, it means the person is generous. When an eye is unhealthy, it means that person is greedy. Jesus is pulling on this idea, and he's saying, what we set our eyes on, it's going to come in, and it's going to influence you. If you want to change your life, change what you focus on. Change what you look at. Change what you treasure. Change what you love. It's not just about the will. It's about what you set before you, what you long for, what you desire, what you hope in, what you dream about. The heart controls things. And see, where the eye goes, it influences the heart and it directs your life. And so if your eyes are set on things that are corrupt, corrupted, it's going to corrupt the heart. But if your eyes are set on good things, then your life is going to follow in the direction of that which you most desire. See, Jesus cares about what we desire. And the reality is when we set our heart on money, that's where that darkness comes in. What money does is it darkens the soul, it darkens the spirit, and it keeps us from recognizing the influence of money in our life. Because notice he says, you know, you cannot serve two masters. Now, Jesus doesn't do this with anything else but money, which should tell us something. He doesn't say watch out for sexual immorality, though that's important. Watch out for anger. Why? Because you know when you're doing that. You know when you've committed adultery, don't you? I mean, I hope so. You know when you've lied. You know when you're angry. You know when you're resentful. You know when you're bitter. But do you know when you're greedy? And the reality is none of us think it's a problem. And yet we live in a day and age, recognize Jesus was speaking to a community of people who had, compared to us, compared to the the least of us, nothing. Their, their money wasn't currency. It was in what they owned, whether it was cattle or land or their profession. Jesus is speaking to a people, by all standards, are poor. And he's saying, look out. Money can come in in such a way. And what it begins to do is it blinds you to its influence in your life. And that's what he's describing because he says... Where your treasure is, there's your heart going to follow. Well, let me give an example. When your heart is set and your eyes are set on money, it darkens us. And it keeps us from seeing the impact that money has on our life. That's the first idea is that money's influence over us, it blinds us from its influence. 
we don't think it's a problem. And realize living in the most beautiful, wealthy communities, we don't think it's a problem. Jesus is saying to us, you cannot serve me, meaning know the fullness of my love for you, know my hope for you, know my passions for you, my commitment to you, if you don't address the influence that money has on your life. So that's the first idea, is that money influences us. And money blinds us, and I wanna share, this is kinda out of my own experience, money blinds us in three ways. First of all, I think it blinds us to the influence it has in our life. You know, again, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said it this way. He said, take care. Be on guard against all covetousness, and that means greed, for one's life does not consist, and hear these words, in the abundance of your possessions. Your possessions can't make you secure, but how many of us feel secure because we have possessions? I mean, your money can't give you peace, but how many of us are resting our peace in what we have? That functionally, hey, we say we trust in God, but functionally when you walk out the door, are you, is it really hard to trust in God when you're secure financially? When your health is together, when you have insurance? I mean, how, many, how much insurance do we need? You can insure just about everything to give us a sense of security, to give us a sense of control in a world that's out of control. And see, money gives us this, this idea that, that it has this control, it has this power in our life, and it blinds us to its own influence to the extent that Jesus is saying, you've got to watch out. You've got to be on guard. And he doesn't, again, say that towards any other sin, because when it comes to anything else, you know when you're doing it. But when it comes to what you treasure, what you worship, what you love... Often we fool ourselves, don't we? Into believing God is first. But what is really giving me security? What is my self-worth? What is my identity in? To a community that was poor, Jesus said, watch out for money. Money blinds us to its influence. But I'll tell you, money blinds us to the choices we make. I don't know if you realize this, money blinds us to our choices. When we buy a product, it's not as if there's one product out there. There is one product with a vast array of options around how that product can be improved. And you know it can be improved because you've been to somebody's house and it's improved. You know, I didn't know you could have a blender with a speaker in it. You know, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize you could have a TV that also could tell you. I mean, you find out all these things. And so what I did this week is I said, okay, I'm going to look into the most boring product I could imagine and see how many versions there are. And so I looked into a spatula. And I went on Google and I searched, what is the best spatula? And I don't know if you realize this, New York Times thought it was worth writing an article on. Because there may be 50 people in the world that need to know and actually do know and understand the, the depths of the spatula. But in this New York Times article in 2018, this is what they wrote. And I'm going to quote from this article. And I want you to hear the investment into the spatula by New York Times. And it says, we spent 40 hours. Now, we're talking about spatula. We spent 40 hours researching, interviewing magazine test kitchen editors, 
chief instructors, restaurant pros, and finally testing six, I didn't know there were six, six different types of spatula to come up with the best. And here's what you're wondering. Which one is it? You don't think money has an influence over you. Yet we live in an economy that we pass things by or we give things up not because they're broken, but because they're not the best. And see, money, it hides us from seeing the influence that it has on us and what that influence means to us. You know, today we don't live in a class system. We don't, this isn't Downton Abbey. So you're not, back in the past, you wouldn't connect with people really that have more than you. Today, economists say we don't live in a class system. We live in reference groups. And so reference groups could be your profession. So my reference group is pastors. And the truth is, through my career, I've met many different types of pastors. I've met pastors that are bivocational. I've met pastors that don't make any income from the church. They're entirely, their income comes from something else, and yet they serve the church. And then other pastors that maybe 50% or 75% comes from the church, and then they work outside. And then I've known guys that have mega churches that have written books, and they've got 50 to 100 to 150 staff and a budget that's probably... 10 million, 20, 30 million, 30 million dollars. And so that's my reference group, which means there's always somebody in my reference group that does better than me. And I know them and I talk to them. And so the reality is when I look at my income, I'm not looking at my income and saying, okay, God, what do I need? What have you given me? What do I need to be satisfied with? I'm looking at my income and I'm thinking of the guy that's doing just a little bit better. And I'm always comparing myself and, and kind of positioning myself going, well, I've got a lot, but listen, I don't have that. That's the influence of money. One, it says, hey, you can't be satisfied because there's constantly somebody with more. And the reality is in our culture, we're constantly rubbing up against people that have more. So we never think that our income is enough because we've never asked the question, what, it would, what, what do I need? And what if I actually set a level to what I'm going to spend. Instead of just when my income goes up, my spending goes up. No, I'm gonna keep my spending in one place so that if my income goes up, there is greater opportunity to use that in ways that God creatively wants me to use it. Money, it, it, it causes us to realize that we don't even recognize the choices we make. Sometimes, certainly when you're younger, you'll go into a career because it makes more money. And you'll be satisfied first 10, 15 years. Why? Because you're chasing not the career. You're chasing the advancement. You guys have been there. And suddenly you get to a place, you're in your 40s and your 50s, and you hate what you do. Because for the longest time, you were building an identity. You were building a financial security. But you hate what you do. Money drives us to things that we don't necessarily desire. Sometimes money keeps us from asking important questions. Is the company that I work for, does it actually bring a benefit to others? I mean, does it destroy community? Does it, does it lead to human flourishing or does it actually bring more harm to my culture? I mean, does it destroy the environment? Does it help the environment? We don't ask these questions. As long as money is taking care of us, we don't seem to care. Because, see, money blinds us from its influence. It blinds us from asking the right questions. It has a controlling factor. And as long as money is taking care of us, then we love money back. Jesus is saying you've got to watch out 
for the influence that money has on our life. Because, see, the influence of money is the role that God wants to take in your life. God wants to be that captivating, that mesmerizing, that beautiful. You have to check on him every single day, maybe a couple times a day. You have to think about him, meditate on, see if he's going up or he's going down. You've got to seek him because he's that beautiful. Jesus is saying, watch out for the influence of money because see, money, in the end, it begins to control us. And so watch this. In verse 21, Jesus is telling us that where our treasure is, that's where we're going to find our hearts, what we're most passionate about. So what we look at, what we long for, it's going to drive our heart and our affections, which is going to, in the end, drive our life. So at the end of verse 24, he says, you can't serve both God and money. Now, in the old translations, they used to say you cannot serve both God and mammon. And mammon would be capitalized because this is an old Aramaic term. And it's actually referring to the deity that is behind the influence of money. That they actually believed there was an influence to wealth. And there was a deity behind that wealth that, that would use wealth to infiltrate and to control and to direct and guide. It was called mammon. And he's saying, you cannot have a devotion for God and a devotion for money at the same time. It doesn't work. Now, all of us think, well, I can do it. I got this. It's not too much for me. It's not influencing me. Jesus is saying to us, you don't realize the control and the influence that it has. So, for example, how do you know what your soul is really satisfied in? One of the ways to discover that is to find out where money easily flows. Now, this is a very trivial example. I didn't want to go too deep and expose myself. But when I was in seminary, we lived in Boston. I loved the Red Sox. And more than just loving the Red Sox, I'll tell you this. If you haven't been to Fenway Park, that is a different baseball experience. I mean, maybe Wrigley Field has a similar experience, but Fenway is unlike anything else. It's not simply the park itself. It's the environment outside the park. It's the people walk into the park. It's the sights. It's the sound. And then you get into a game where you are on top of the field. You know, when you only have 33,000 people in a very small place, it is loud it is passionate. I loved Fenway. Now, when I was in seminary, I didn't have much money. Melissa and I both had two, three jobs between us. We did everything we could to try to survive during that time. I didn't have any money, but I always had money for the Red Sox. <laughs> if I knew they were in town and a buddy said, hey, do you want to go? Yeah. Yes. And I would find a way. Do you understand me on this? I would find a way to find that one aspect of my financial wealth that could go towards the Red Sox. And when I did that, and I spent 100, 200, 300 bucks, I didn't think about it. I came home satisfied because it was something that I loved. And often we do that for our kids. We love our kids. We love the people that we care about and our money easily goes to it. And so if you wanna discover what your heart is set on, you've gotta ask yourself, what does it easily flow to? And some of you are thinking, well, I don't spend a lot. Yeah, but I invest a lot. Investment is my security. That's my peace. It doesn't have to be about spending. It's about where you put it and what you believe about yourself because it's there. Money has a way of telling you you're in control. You're secure. You are loved. You have peace. You are beautiful. You are powerful. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
Why? Because they know the depths of their need for God and they have God. Money hides, a, hides the reality of how much we need God. It controls us. Money blinds us from its influence. Money also controls us. It doesn't allow us to see what's most important. So how do we break that power in our lives? Well, that's where verses 19 and 20 come in. If you wanna jump back into that passage, in verses 19 and 20, he gives us a very practical picture of how we break the power that money has over us. And he says it this way, now do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So when he's saying treasure, don't think of just objects. He's talking about where you place your value. Where is your self-worth? Where is your identity? What makes you secure? What makes you feel loved? What allows you to move out into the world with confidence? Don't place your confidence and your identity in things that can be noticed stolen, taken, things that can decay or things that can be broken down. Instead, he's gonna tell us in verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, we need to discover what this heaven means. Because sometimes people think, well, what he's saying there is, okay, you got to sacrifice now, and then you're going to get this prize someday, one day, hopefully. That's not what he's saying. It's not a consolation prize, that heaven isn't a destination you get to. And when you get there, okay, you're going to have some things there. They're going to be really nice because you sacrificed today. No, he's saying, I want you to be satisfied today as you sacrifice. I want your heart to be full. I want you to know who you are. I want you to have self-worth and value and joy and peace because you're giving up the things of earth for the things of heaven and they're satisfying you today. Heaven's not a distant reality. Heaven is now. This is eternal life. Do you know what it is? That you might know God. It's not about a destination. It's about a person. And so when he uses the word earth and he uses the word heaven, certainly earth and heaven are two different areas, realms, spheres. But the reality is heaven is impacting earth. Now, one day heaven's gonna cover earth and that means everything's gonna be healed. But right now, see, when Jesus came, he said, here's the good news, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. I'm healing things now. I'm renewing things now. Heaven is breaking into this world and it's beginning to restore things. It's bringing life back to where God intended. And it starts with you. When we receive the gospel, we are born again, meaning we're given a heart and a spirit that loves God and desires him. The spirit comes in us, the Holy Spirit, which is the very presence of God. And now he dwells in you, his power, his presence. And as his power and presence dwells in you, he begins to change you. Heaven is in you. Heaven is dwelling in you and it wants to work through you, but it has to begin to check your desires. So when he says, do not value things that are on earth, what is it that earth ultimately values? You ready for this? The ultimate value of earth as I can see it is this, it is mine. I am mine, it is mine. Everything I have is mine. God, I determine good and evil. I determine the course of my life. I won't submit to you, God. I want to use you in a way that you have to submit to me. You've got to bless my life. What do we try to do? We claim ownership over our lives, over what we have. And then we kind of get God alongside, you know, maybe he can help us. He'd be a great financial advisor. You know, God, can we get some insight here? Can I get some help? And he's saying, Jason, you cannot serve both God and money. I, I will only be Lord and Savior of your life. I won't be your, your advisor. 
you're blind. What does heaven value? Ready for this? What's, if, if earth, the ultimate, and do you agree? I mean, the ultimate value of earth is it's mine. I think we see that in the way we operate, the selfishness, the brokenness of, of humanity, even myself. What do I spend money on? You want to know? This guy. <laughs> you know, I have a thousand reasons why the stuff I need is really important. I'm selfish. Earth says it is mine. You know what? Heaven's value is, Jason, you are mine. Wow. Okay, do you see that, Jason, you are mine. What does that mean? I am God's treasure. I am loved. I am cherished. I am purchased. I am redeemed. You know, this last Monday after Easter, Easter, you know, for a pastor, it's weird because he... Church is like a marathon. You don't get too excited at the fifth mile or the sixth mile, even the 20th mile. And so Easter can be like one of those miles where everybody's cheering, right? You're like, yes, I'm doing great. This is awesome. And, and you can get caught up in that. And so on Monday, what I had to go do, actually, because I was kind of getting caught up in that, I, I had to just go and walk with the Lord and say, God, you know what? I am yours. And I just walked. I was up on Maxwell Falls. If you heard a guy talking on Maxwell Falls, that was me. And I was just walking, I said, God, I am yours. The most important thing I want to take out of this Easter is that I am yours. And God, I'm a mess, I'm goofy, kind of a dork, but you love me, you cherish me, you died for me, you rose for me, you are changing me, you're indwelling me, you're surrounding me with all good things. And I literally had to do this. I had to just start pushing all that other stuff away, almost visually just saying, okay, that stuff's fleeing. God, that stuff's fleeing. It's fleeing. You value me. You love me. I am yours. What does earth say? It is yours. And earth says you are what you have. Come on now. I mean, we understand the influence and the power of that. You are what you do and you are what you have. Wouldn't you say that's what we're constantly being communed? What does heaven say? No, you are, you are infinitely more valuable than what you own. I own you. You are mine. And I have lavished my grace on you. And there was no extent to which Jesus would go to rescue you. So, so listen to this. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Listen to this, these words. When it says, treasure the things in heaven, here's what it sounds like negatively. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, notice the language, cannot be my disciple. You know, there was a guy that... We talked about the rich young ruler earlier, that he had to give up everything. That had. Now, we love to take those stories, and we like to say, well, that was unique, <laughs> right? We don't do that with some stories, right? There's some stories where are like, no, that's, that's universal. Love your enemies. You all got to do that. But when it comes to giving things up, we're like, okay, that's, that's a little unique. Notice what he says. You have to give it all up. Now, what is he saying? You have to give up ownership. And that's a very different reality. You've got to give up control. You've got to say, God, this is yours. And I am a steward of what you have given me because I am yours. See, how do you begin to treasure God the way you treasure money? Here's the solution. You've got to see how much God treasures you. And you need to be broken by a church. You need to be broken by the depths to which Jesus Christ went to rescue you to adopt you, to love you, to chase after you, to make you his. Because think of what Jesus had. 
I mean, he had it all. He had the glory of God. He had the fullness of life. Identity, peace, joy, satisfaction. Jesus had everything. Why would he leave? Would you leave? He left. Because there's something that he treasures. God deeply treasures his rebellious creation. He treasures us. As broken as we are, as fearful as we are, as insecure as we are. I know none of you are insecure. I am. As insecure, as shameful as we often walk in. We walk in shame. We walk in bitterness and anger. God desperately cherishes us. To the extent when Jesus showed up, how did he show up? He was born of obscure parents that when they went to the temple to make a sacrifice, I don't know if you realize this, when he was circumcised, they gave two doves. That is the smallest possible gift that you could give. That's how poor they were. He did not have a home to lay his head. He was buried in somebody else's tomb. When you see Jesus coming to earth and emptying himself, living in poverty, realize the reason he's emptying himself is so that in his poverty, you might become rich. You might know who you are. You might know how much God loves you. And in knowing how much God loves you, you're able to look at life not through the lens of scarcity, but through the lens of generosity and abundance. What happens? Your eye begins to be filled with light. And you look out into the world and say, it's not mine. I am yours. And Father, everything I have is yours. And I want my life, my time, my money to be used in a way that reflects who you are to the world. You see, what's the world doing? It's grabbing everything up, right? Just like I was watching the kids. Remember we did the Easter egg hunt? It's like, it's mine. What are we teaching them? I don't know. Anyways, I'm going to not go there. It was fun. It was awesome. It was fun. It was good. It's good for that. But you see it. You see how the world's saying, it's, it's mine. God's saying, no, no, I want you to be free, Jason. I want you to know the depths of my love, and I want you to walk out into a difficult world secure in who you are. Church, how are you going to do that? You've got to see how much Jesus is treasured. Where do you feel ashamed? Where do you feel broken? Will you just open up your heart to the Lord and say, God, I am yours, and you are mine. You are a chosen people. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. God's treasured possession. Us. God treasures you, and until you see how much he's treasured you, you will not learn to take your resources that you treasure and allow it just to be money. Now, let me end with this. You know it's coming. Anytime we talk about money, we talk about giving. But let me, let me clarify this. God says, and he says this to release the influence of money. We should give at least, and hear me on this, we should give at least, at minimum, 10% of what we have away. Do not hear, that means only to the church. Pastors use this in unhealthy ways because we're afraid. We're insecure. It's just the reality. God doesn't say that. He does say, I want you to give 10% away. Now, do you need to give to the church? If you're a part of a church, you need to give to the church so that church can continue to make an impact. You need to give to missionaries. You need to give directly to the poor. I don't know if you realize in, in Matthew 6, he says, I want you to pray, I want you to fast, and then I want you to give, and then pastors love to erase the rest of that, to the church. No, to the poor, to those who are outcasts, to those who, 
who are going through different, I want you to give directly. When you give directly to the poor, you're sharing God's heart for the world. Do you give? And if you say 10% is too much, you don't know how much God treasures you. It's not about money. It is not about money. And for some of us, I want you to hear this. Why does God say give 10%? Because for the majority of people in the world, 10% causes them to change their spending habits. Not necessarily for all of us. We could give 10% away and not change our spending habits. And so we have to surrender it to the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? It's yours. It's yours. How can I use this? And this is fun, guys. Understand, this is about creativity. How can I use this to reveal your love into the world? And how can I use my money in a way that's gonna break that power and influence over me? So Father, you would be the thing that I treasure because I know the depths of your treasure towards me. Do you see your money that way or do you see it as your significance, your security, your power, your influence? Until we're willing to repent, which means to turn and say, God, you are those things for me. It'll continue to have an influence. How do we do that? We've gotta see him treasuring us. And there's no greater way to do that than sharing communion together.